Ralph Holder was about 40, married with three children, one a 10-year-old boy. <clears throat> he described himself as a workaholic and felt he was losing touch with his family and felt that he wanted to do himself differently. I shared some of the ideas about being stuck in control, my not being able to help him, being free since he did not have any chains, etc. The third session was different from the beginning. He came in glowing, obviously eager to share. The family had a membership in a health club, and on Saturday, he had asked his son to go along while he worked out. The boy wanted to go swimming, so he went along. They agreed to meet in the lobby when they were done, and while there, his son asked if he could have a soda from the vending machine. He agreed, and they got in the car and drove away. In a couple of minutes, the son placed the open soda can in the plastic cup holder attached to the window. Somehow, the soda can ended up on the floor, spewing the contents in every direction. The father pulled over to the side of the road and began gathering steam to rage at his son. He looked over at him and saw that he was terrified, pushing up against the door in an attempt to become tiny and trying to apologize. He said he remembered that he was in charge of himself, both literally and figuratively, at the wheel. And all of a sudden, he disappeared the rage that he had initially chosen. In other words, he changed channels. He stopped the car, got both towels out, and began wiping up what he could while telling him not to worry, that it was an accident. He said his son seemed to be looking at him as if he were a stranger and waiting for the explosion. They rode home and he still seemed to be holding his breath, not realizing that I had made a significant change in me. With ownership and freedom, the result is all kinds of possibilities and options. When he arrived home, he gathered what was needed to do a better cleanup and started the process. He said he felt a little weird cleaning up without cursing and slamming things around and yet feeling thankful, as if he had just given himself a gift. This was difficult for him since he was picky about his car and ordinarily he would have been growling and sizzling. Next he said, and this is a shocker, when I took the cup holder off the side window, the plastic strip that would have stopped the can from going through was missing. I could not believe my eyes. I told my son, but he still seemed to be in shock and not trusting my different behavior. I am very happy that I am a changed man and he will just have to get used to it. And I know what you are going to say, that I shouldn't blame it on you, and I won't. I know I did it using some of the ideas you shared with me. I also realized that what I am thinking or imagining or making up in my mind, a functional cup holder, may not match the external reality, a dysfunctional cup holder. So another lesson I learned is not to be so certain about being right. I may not know what is going on. A very significant learning. A major, if not tectonic, shift made quickly and easily by Ralph Holder, a 40-year-old man. Just like 50-year-old Bert McTemper, who was being run by his bad temper. I have seen much older people make similar shifts in their thinking and behavior. One woman in her mid-60s 
asked why she hadn't been aware of this way of thinking before, adding that she could have had a much better life. Good question. The role of victim, sometimes referred to as victimology, is so much the norm in this culture. Like the elephant in the next cartoon, the cultural norm about ownership seems to be invisible. A huge elephant is in a courtroom sitting in the witness chair. The prosecutor is doing the cross-examination. If you were in the middle of the room the whole time, why can we not find a single witness to corroborate your testimony? My view is that this powerless or victim mindset is a leftover from our childhood. If you think about an individual's first few years, we are very helpless and dependent, as I've mentioned earlier. In a way, we spent our early formative years being operated by giants, mainly parents, in our environment. Dennis the Menace by Hank Ketchum Dennis, do you know why I'm putting you in the corner? Yeah, because you're bigger than me. Mothers pick us up. We did not pick them up. They put us in the high chair or the car seat, whether we wanted to or not. If we think about how a house is built, we know pouring the foundation is the first step that determines where the walls go and eventually the roof. In our foundation experience, we had little say, and our adult thinking rests on that. I wrote about this earlier when I mentioned that adults were the role models of emotional irresponsibility. Recall the sentence, you kids are driving me up the wall. I think this is embedded in our cultural norms. I just saw an ad about some supplement that began, take charge of your health. Or another ad that began, take control of your credit cards. Doesn't this suggest that the underlying assumption is that you are not in control? That you not are not in charge? My question is, who has been in charge of your health, if not you? Who has been charging items to your credit card, if not you? Many helpers or help programs emphasize the first step is taking control of your life, suggesting that you have not been in charge so far. How can one take charge if they are operating themselves from helplessness? Not in charge. As I explained earlier, this is why I began from the assumption that the client or student is already in charge. I talked to a client with the temper issue as the doer, the nail biter as being in charge. Mother Goose and Grimm by Mike Peters. A Freudian psychologist has Pinocchio lying on the couch holding his puppet strings. Good Pinocchio, you're finally taking control of your life. A psychiatrist, William Glasser, points out that in most behaviors, we frequently use do and doing. As an example, in answer to the question, what are you doing? The person might respond with, I'm doing some gardening or I'm doing some housework. Alternatively, we can skip the do and doing and simply use the word ending in ing, such as I am gardening or I am reading, which implicitly seems to suggest the person's active involvement. When it comes to feelings, the question is not, 
What kind of feeling are you doing, but how are you feeling? Or what kind of feeling do you have? The answer is usually not an ing word, but instead a descriptive response like, I am angry, I am sad, I am hopeful, I am worried, or I have this feeling that something bad is about to happen with no sense of the person's active involvement or ownership. Glasser suggests that we shift to ing words for the feelings that we are doing. For example, he would use words like, I am angering, depressing, guilting, etc. Although awkward, it would more clearly make the point of ownership and lead us to minimize our doing negative feelings. Why is this significant? When we are doing gardening, we can stop gardening or continue. We are at the wheel and steering. When we are in the back seat of our vehicle, making comments about what is happening to us, especially when we use sentences like, he makes me so mad or she makes me laugh, apparently no choice involved except, of course, the choice to give voice to the passive sentence. It's as if the other person is the puppeteer and the individual making the statement is the puppet. When we make sentences reflecting passivity, we end up sentencing ourselves to the position of doe rather than doer. Remember the unusual starting point that due to circumstances beyond my control, I have been left in charge of me. How about you? I want to ask you, who does your eating, your breathing, your thinking, your dressing, your reading? Clearly, it is you, and you can change what you are doing. You can eat more or less, you can speed up your breathing, or you can hold your breath for a couple of minutes. You can change your mind, you can change your clothes, and you can change what and how much you read. If you have been left in charge of you, where does it say everything except my feelings? The predominant cultural story is that feelings happen as a result of circumstances, especially how other people are treating you. Since we seem to be in the back seat and other people make us feel different ways, we have to either get away from them or make them change, whereupon we run into our impotence to convince them to act differently. The result is we live in the illusion that we are emotionally at the effect of others rather than living responsibly, owning our choice, a much more positive illusion. What if we changed our illusion 180 degrees and played the game of life as if we chose our feelings, our emotional behaviors, similar to how we choose what we do in all our other behaviors? What if we operated our emotional behavior in a manner similar to how we operated the remote control on the TV set? In the latter case, we watch what we enjoy and skip the programs that we do not enjoy. In our emotional behavior, it seems as if we dwell on our worries and hurts and skim past the feel-goods. Many people end up medicating themselves with alcohol and other drugs, as well as food, in an attempt to feel better. Dick Brown, in High and Lois, has a friend saying to High, What a hangover! My head hurts, my stomach hurts, even my teeth hurt. Why don't you give up drinking? And stop enjoying myself? 
It adds considerably to the message to see cartoonist Mort Walker's facial expressions.